City Church in Over the Rhine is cultivating the kind of family Jesus introduced to the world in the city of Cincinnati. We're glad you're choosing to listen to a sermon from our weekly service. We would love to meet you. Visit us on Instagram or at citychurchotr.com. Enjoy. Well, hello, uh, City Church people. I have a uh, confession to make first. Let's just get that out first. I'm a fanboy of Chris's. Uh, I think he's one of the best communicators out there, no kidding. And uh, it's pretty amazing. The whole team here is uh, fairly fantastic. I mean, Rob and Caitlin and Michelle, Megan, Mandy, Catherine up here. And of course, Evu's just killing it. He's just crushing it up there. It's ridiculous. That sounded like a flat tire. <laughs> man, oh man. Let me give you a little, uh, by way of introduction, uh, yeah, I did pastor at, uh, at a church here in Cincinnati called The Vineyard for 30 years. Ten years ago, felt like God said, uh, time to step down and let young leaders take over, and so we did that, and I formed a nonprofit, and we just tried to help churches and faith-based uh, nonprofits do better, get a little more effective. But here at City Church, I'm Katie's dad, and uh, Katie helps lead worship here every so often. She's usually over here with a guitar. Uh, actually, the first time we came here uh, was on Easter last year, and uh, we're sitting uh, in, in the back, and I'm looking around to see just spotting a few other gray hairs. There were just a few, and I'm looking, and Katie elbows me, and she goes, let's bring your parents to church today. So, so here I am. And then my other daughter planted a church right across the river in Covington, and over there, I'm Rachel's dad, so it's all good. It's their time to shine. Before being a pastor, I, I worked as a professional musician. Professional just means that you don't have a day job. That's all that means. And then before all of that, before I was a Jesus follower, way back when uh, dinosaurs ruled the earth, I was your basic reprobate. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Uh, as a musician, I was playing in bars before I was old enough to drive. No kidding. I remember at 14 setting some drums up on top of a pool table in a bar. Um, I dropped out of college to play music professionally. I was living in Cincinnati when my parents had the weirdest, weirdest experience ever. And um, they became Jesus freaks in their late 40s. Uh, we never talked about God. We never, uh, it was just not part of our conversation. I don't think I ever heard anyone ever pray in, in our house. And uh, so I'd go home to see them. And I didn't know who they were. It was like aliens had come and sucked their little brains out or something. And, and I, I remember one time uh, driving home to see them. You know, when you're 20-something, you think you know everything. And, and I remember just finally saying to my mom, don't you ever talk to me about Jesus again, ever. And then slammed the door and drove home in my little Volkswagen and, and uh, made my big exit. Then uh, some weeks later, you know, when I cooled down, I went back to see them uh, because they had food and I was a musician. Uh, <laughs> They didn't, say, they didn't say anything about Jesus. But they would put in these little cassette tapes. Remember cassette tapes? They would put these cassette tapes in of other people talking about Jesus. There was no escape. And um, eventually I stopped running and finally admitted my brokenness and loneliness. And God got a hold of me. Haven't been the same ever since. Well, when Chris uh, invited me to come, he wanted me to continue this series, Jesus According to Jesus, on this controversial phrase that Jesus said, what we now call the I am statements 
of Jesus. And to understand why that was so radical and so controversial, you'll just have to go back and listen to Chris's message uh, from uh, last week because I don't have time to do that. I'm a busy guy. So my assignment was about the time when Jesus stood up in front of a group of antagonistic uh, religious leaders and he said point blank, I am the light of the world. I mean, stop right there. If you can put that scripture up, I am the light of the world. Just that alone, just that first line. I mean, think about how weird that was, you know. You're really, you're the light for the entire planet. You, you're the carpenter's boy from, you know, the wrong side of the tracks. And he goes, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The I am phrase would have been shocking to Hebrew sensibilities, but the metaphor following that isn't really rocket science, is it? Light is simply that which allows you to see uh, in the darkness. And he's carrying the metaphor further that this darkness is a, is a uh, deep spiritual uh, lostness, an inability to know why you exist in the universe, uh, uh, an existential crisis of of, of meaning. And the, the funny thing about light is, is the obvious. It goes out from the source. Light travels out. It goes out. And Jesus said that that light was actually life, the real life. He's the, we, we, the Greek uh, is zoe. It's the, the real life of God. That light, the life of God, goes out. It travels out. It's never, ever static. That's amazing enough, and it tells us a lot about how Jesus saw himself. But then here's where I want to spin it today. One day, Jesus kind of flips all this all around, and he's in his famous uh, Sermon on the Mount, and he says to his followers, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You. Collectively. And what he meant by that was you. Not them, but you. So now we have a bigger problem. So years ago, Many years ago, we decided as a church, and the church was first starting, that we were going to do whatever it took to demonstrate that you part and the realization that we were the you. So let me tell you how we thought Jesus said was the right mindset for that to work and how, exactly how we could do that. So one day Jesus is talking to us, his carbon-based bipeds, and, 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 and you notice how we push and shove to get recognition, to get noticed, and then he shocks everyone when he suddenly says in reference to himself, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So now I'm an old guy. I've been following Jesus now for uh, nearly 50 years and been in ministry for most of that time. And here's what I've discovered. I'm convinced 
that serving others is the most powerful vitamin for our, for our mental, emotional, and spiritual health. It's moving from an inward focus to an outward focus because light goes out. So we decided at our church that we better define what a disciple is so that people knew that's what we were trying to create. So I would define a disciple simply as this, a surrendered and transformed person who loves God and others. That's pretty simple. I think it's uh, scriptural and theologically true. So if I were to graph that definition out on a matrix, spiritual growth would be traveling on the bottom from being self-willed and wounded to surrendered and transformed. We surrender, he transforms. And then the, that's the first part of that definition, right? And then along the left side, from being self-focused to loving God and others, the second part of the definition. So obviously, we want to live in quadrant two there on the top right, right? Then when you lay the basic growth stages of a believer across that matrix, you come up with this. You go from being a, you know, a seeker, you know, God to a follower of Jesus to someone who really owns the faith to you're reproducing the life of God in others. As you can see, it's clearly a move from being inward to outward. Light goes out. So when Jesus first came back from the dead, which we celebrated just a couple weeks ago, right? The first thing he told his followers, he just shows up in the room and says, don't panic, or peace be unto you, which is, which is what you should lead with if you ever come back from the dead and you <laughs> appear in a room with your friends. Start with that. And then he says this, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you, light goes out. Meaning that in the same manner and the same power and the same authority and with the attitude of a servant, that is how you're to go out. He knew that ultimately that brings us the greatest joy in life, learning to be the servant of all. Not to be served, but to serve, right? And the problem is we Christians don't always uh, act like that. We don't behave like that. Um, I don't, you know, here in Cincinnati, I've been in Cincinnati a long time. Folks are pretty skeptical about churches, right? If you ask the average Cincinnatian, the average not yet believer, what they think about church or what they think about Christians, you get these kind of typical responses, don't you? If they're honest, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Are they, you know, they're all judgmental. They're all mean. They're all cheap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, the big capital C church doesn't have great PR in the U.S. Have you noticed that? So we did a series years ago. It was one of my favorite series that we ever did. It was called Jesus Loves You, Everyone Else Thinks You're a Jerk. Because we felt like we needed to retrain believers uh, the church had such a bad reputation. So on one of those weekends, we interviewed a waitress from Chili's, you know, the little Chili's restaurant, and asked her, this was the primary question, what's it like working on Sundays when the church people come in? <laughs> and she was like, chug, chug, chug. she was loaded for bear, as we used to say in Kentucky. She gave us an earful, and she said, honestly, she said, none of her coworkers want to work on Sundays. None of them. Uh, we 
church people have terrible reputations, she said. We're, we're, we're cheap, we're demanding. Instead of tipping, we leave little brochures about hell and stuff. So I got to tell you, that really, really bothered me. Have you, let me show you a bumper sticker. Have you ever seen this bumper sticker on a car? Bring up that first slide. What would Jesus do? I bet he'd use his turn signal. I love that. I like that. But here's the one that I want to get. Go to the next one. What would Jesus? He'd tip you freaking cheapskates. <laughs> so, uh, the, and I'm not making any of this up. Her boss asked her, people at the vineyard were leaving $20 tips at Chili's and restaurants after that. And her boss, I'm not kidding, asked if she could speak in churches every weekend. Uh, it, was, it was good for business. Not making this up. As a side note, she, uh, she and her boyfriend, I think they had a little, I think they had a baby. Uh, they start coming regularly. And then it took a while, a few years later, she, they all came to Christ. She got baptized. Very, very cool. So um, for years, then we began wondering, what would happen if the church was known less for what it's against? What if it was known less for its politics? What if it was known less for whining about its rights all the time and became more known for being servants? Because it seems like that one track isn't working. So I'm a pragmatist. Let's get off that track. Let's try this track for a while. What would happen if we became known as the people who loved unconditionally? What, what would happen? So when our church was just a handful of people with no resources, we'd load up groceries, drive up to the projects in Hamilton. We were close there, knock on doors. And I kid you not, we'd ask if there were any poor people there. We were not smart. Uh, we were not systemic back then. But what was going on was our hearts were being broken, right? And in the church, I'll take broken people over the, hey, we've got it all together, people, any day of the week. It's way messier, but it's better, I'm telling you. I promise you that. Wow, that deserves some sort of comment, uh, but I, I, I don't know what that would be. Back in the 90s, the people at the vineyard just say, cool. <laughs> that was it, okay. I guess that was good. So then we started thinking, how do we serve middle class people? Upper middle class and lower upper class and so forth. What do you do? Because remember, light goes out. So in, the, so in the late 1980s, we started doing free car washes out in the suburbs. We put up a big banner that said free car wash, and then down the road a little bit, it would actually say, no kidding, because people are so suspicious. You know, they'd want to give you a little bit of, here's a, here's a donation for your church. No, 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 we can't do that. It's free. It's just like the love of Jesus. It's free, right? And then we started giving away free Cokes and bottles of water at busy intersections and traffic jams. And when, then it was just walking around the city picking up trash. We had these goofy-looking vests that said kindness in, project, in process right now. Uh, then it was cleaning restrooms for free in the businesses, local businesses around our church. That was awesome. We actually had a urinal screen with our logo on it. It was very cool. Nothing like urinating on your church. It was anything that could get us out for just a couple of hours on a Saturday and just serve and get out of ourselves just for, you know, to serve in really super simple ways. What, we, what was going on, we were trying to create an outward focus, servant-oriented culture in our church that was focused especially on people who were far from God. You know, 
There, and there, there is no shortage of ways, there's no shortage of ways to serve people and extend and advance the kingdom of God when you start developing a servant orientation. Then you start getting crazy. When we were, when we, uh, were needing to raise money to build, our, to build our first building, it was a huge step at the time. We had purchased, we had bought an, uh, a Baptist church building up in Springdale, and we were doing, I kid you not, seven services every weekend, seven identical services. So two on Saturday night, four on Sunday morning, and one on Sunday night, all the same. Whoever spoke did them all, whoever led worship did them all, and so forth. So, uh, so before we got into this new building campaign to raise money, we felt like God spoke to us and said, give this building away to another church who needs a building. And, uh, and so we were all pretty excited about that. It's like, it's like giving a Coke away or whatever. It's the next thing, next step, right? So when we told our bank that, that weren't, they weren't that excited because they said, well, that's nice, but you can't do that. Uh, you don't own it. We do. You still owe us a lot of money on this building. So, oh, okay. So we went back and told our people, uh, hey, we are going to give our building away. It's going to be awesome to another church in town that needs a building. And uh, they all stood up and cheered because that was the culture we had created. It had taken years and years and years. Of course, of course that's what you would do. And then we told them that we needed a lot of money from them. And then they sat down and they got quiet because that's how you, us church people are. But light goes out. Up in uh, Sharonville, the Sharonville Convention Center, uh, which was near our church in Springdale, there's a major psychic fair there that they hold just about every year. It's, it's one of the largest psychic fair conventions in the country. It's got, I think it's called Victory of Light. And, uh, and what happens is psychics and mediums and you know, astrologers and palm readers, they all come and set up booths there and they promote their services there and sell their stuff, sell their deals. You know, everything from like run-of-the-mill palm reading to uh, one booth had a special camera that could photograph your aura, <laughs> whatever. So uh, again, it's a big, big thing. And as many of you know, the Bible has specific things to say about those kind of behaviors, what it would refer to as occultic behaviors. Uh, it's not positive. In other words, don't play with fire. You know, God says, why would you talk to the dead when you have a living God, right? So often at things like that, you'd see Christians outside with bullhorns telling people they're going to hell. But we took a different approach and we got a booth inside the psychic fair. And they don't allow churches in the psychic fair, but we sneaked in under the banner of uh, the healing center. The healing center was this place we built. It's a 50,000 square foot facility we built to, to holistically take care of the poor and the marginalized in our city with over, I think it's over 40 different free services from you know, basic food and clothes to computer literacy classes and a computer lab there to job coaching to prayer rooms to whatever. Whatever is needed to bring help to the whole person. So anyway, our prayer team our prayer teams got in under this, they had a booth with a big banner on it that said, it said, uh, healing prayer and dream interpretation. And they figured, why not bring the power of God, the kingdom of God to the psychic fair? So for years, just like you guys, we prayed for sick people. It's, it's what we do. But I asked our director of prayer ministry at the time, her name was Karen. I said, Karen, 
um, do we know how to interpret dreams? And she said, no, but, but we're praying. You know, we're learning fast. Our standard prayer at the church was, oh God, oh God, oh God, please show up. And the responses at the booth were incredible, I tell you. They had people come back to the booth several times saying they felt the strongest vibrations there than anywhere else in the booth, no kidding. And some people were actually healed. Some felt terrific heat as our teams prayed for them. It was awesome, and we were just as shocked, you know, as they were. Um, I think we just made up stuff about dreams. But the other thing was really good. Here's the reality. Many of those folks are God-seekers. They're looking for God. They just don't know the God who's looking for them. And so that's what we do, right? Because light goes out. The best, part was, the best part was that our booth was free, of course. We never charged us for anything, which created problems with the other vendors around us. But we figured, hey, they're psychics. They should have seen that one coming. We, we're, we're doing it, man. Plus, plus we, we had uh, fortune cookies at our booth. We found a company, you can print your own fortunes and have them stuck in those little suckers. And so we had Richard Foster quotes and Jesus quotes and different things. And because light goes out. So here's the funny thing about how this works. Are you still with me? Are you tracking with me? Okay. Just checking. Thank you. Thank you. So one day, Jesus uh, tells a story about a farmer who's planting, and he's just flinging seeds everywhere. The farming style was not to poke a little hole in the ground and put a seed in. He just flung seeds everywhere. And he didn't seem to care where. It was reckless seed throwing because he had lots of seeds. Some fell on rocks, some fell in dry places, some among the thorns, Jesus said. He didn't care because he had lots of seed. And then you can read it for yourself in Mark 4. Uh, He describes, Jesus describes four different types of soil. Four different types of soil. And what's really fascinating, only one of those types of the four bore fruit. Uh, the amazing thing is that's only a 25% success rate. Yeah. But the ROI was fantastic. The return on investment was 30, 60, and 100-fold on that one piece of soil. Yeah. And so if a 75% failure rate is good enough for Jesus, it ought to be good enough for us right? It just means, all that means is, is that we just have to scatter a lot more seeds. And here's what's awesome. We have lots of seeds. I, I love the way the message paraphrases Romans 5.5 5, and Peterson paraphrases it like this. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives via the Holy Spirit. Right? We have We have loads of seeds of love, of grace, seeds of forgiveness, of mercy, of power, of healing, of kindness, and loads of them. We just have to scatter them, right? So so what's the problem? You know, one day, the, the Apostle Paul, man, is he a case or what? This guy hated people like you, and uh. And then he meets Jesus and everything flips for him. But anyway, 
Paul the Apostle, he wrote to some friends in a church in Philippi. He helped plant that church. And he, and he said, your attitude or the way that you think about life should be the same that Christ Jesus had. That though he was God, he didn't demand and cling to his rights as God. Can we stop that church? Can we stop demanding our rights? How about that? He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a servant and appeared in human form. How did we miss this? How did we miss this in the American church? Followers of Jesus have the same DNA as Jesus because we have the same spirit if we've been rebirthed, reborn. And so we were born to serve. We are our happiest, our most fulfilled when we serve the search and rescue mission of God. To love people into the kingdom, you don't have to be smart, you know. <laughs> For heaven's sake, I'm a drummer. You know, that's a guy who hangs around with musicians, right? So... You, you don't have to, you just, you just, you don't have to have all your apologetics screwed on straight. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be available. That's all. I love Martin Luther King Jr. said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. I can do that. I can do that. You can do that, right? So, let me close. This, this, this was perilously close to preaching, Rob. <laughs> Try not to do that. The, the most powerful serving experiences are when we put ourselves in the shoes of someone else. Right? It's when we make the attempt however small it is, to feel what they feel. That's, that's when we really want justice. That's when we want mercy. That's when we want wholeness to come. It's, it's incarnational Christianity. It's what Jesus did by slipping into our skin and walking around in our Nikes, right? It's what he's doing by living in you now, right now. It's, it's what he expects us to do with the people around us. Just try slipping into their skin a little bit. What's it like to be you? Right? And once you begin to feel what other people feel, it is natural to want them to know the God who loves them, you know, who can transform them, who can turn their world right side up, who can fill the void and that's what this church, City Church, has been called to do. It's what each of us has been called to be. So let's personalize this. If we want to be healthy, if we want to be fulfilled in Jesus, our world has got to become bigger than ourselves and our own little churches. If we don't figure out how to give our lives away, we are bound to be unhappy, disgruntled, whiny little Christians. Or as Jesus put it, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, that is, if it lets go of holding on to its own little self-focused life, well, then it bears much fruit. You know? As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you, he said. Light goes out.
That's why City Church is so important to Cincinnati. I'm telling you. I was telling the group earlier that, you know, again, you know, I'm just an old guy. I'm just an old guy. And back during the what's called the Jesus Revolution, the Jesus Movement, it was this very powerful move of God that swept across the U.S. from west to east. And all of us hippies and druggies and musicians and long hairs were just coming to know Jesus by the thousands and thousands. It was crazy. You could sneeze and someone would come to Christ. It was just an amazing time. And so in Cincinnati, it was an underground movement of countercultural young people who we had our own coffee houses, our own papers, underground papers, just to connect with the body of Christ because the average church didn't know what to do with us. And then, in the early 1970s, we saw this church. And on the steeple was not a cross, but a hand, a hand pointing upward. And the upward pointing hand was the symbol of the Jesus movement back in the 1960s and 70s. We had it on our t-shirts. One way, there is one way to God. Jesus is it. And we just thought, this is the coolest church in the world. And honestly, it aged out. And, and then you guys came along and you brought life to this place. Oh, gosh. It's, I'm sorry. You're here. This city needs you. This city, and not just this community. Your span of influence is going to be far more than that, far more than just this. But you're here. This, you've been called to express the kingdom of God to people who have no idea what the church is really all about, what it's really about, the beloved community of God. Are you really committed to becoming part of a true servant-oriented, outward-focused church a community of love because light goes out. This place is incredible and you're, you are critically important to it, you. But even more, a very broken world needs you and needs this church because light goes out. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You're so good. And I just thank you, Father, that this building is filled with life again, with light. And so, God, I ask that right now you'd come in the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you come right now, Father? Would you pour your spirit out upon each one of us, God? And I ask, I ask God, that you would break our hearts for those who are far from you. God, I pray that you would make it so that we would never be satisfied with the status quo. And God, please break our hearts for lost people. Come, Lord, just like you did for me. You found me, God. So come, come in the power of your spirit. Father, I pray right now for uh, maybe any of us Maybe we're not sure who you 
I ask right now, Father, that a cry would come out of our hearts, that deep inside we would pray, Father, forgive me. Just cleanse me. Make me a whole person, God. Would you, would you take these uh, broken pieces of my heart and would you put your heart inside? Heal me, God. Heal me. Make me a new creation, a new creature, Father. And I will follow you all the days of my life, God. I'll chase after you. I give you my life now. And I thank you. Father, I pray for any of us who are just kind of on the, we've been hurt by the church and we're sort of stumbling back. Father, just walk with us. Cause us to center on your son, Jesus. We thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Bless this place. Bless this church. Bless City Church of TR, Father, to do amazing things in your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Sunday service. If we can serve you in any way, please visit our website at citychurchotr.com. If you want to be a part of what God is doing in Cincinnati, you can support us financially. Giving can also be done on our website at citychurchotr.com give.